The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Well, again, good morning, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you today to open God's Word to you. Uh, to be in a place that is very near and dear to my heart. I treasured very much my time here at seminary, and um, I'm praying that the Lord is blessing you in your studies that are just beginning. Uh, we pray for you at our home church, which is Ontario URC, as you heard, in California. Uh, we pray for you and for the faculty, and pray that God would continue to grow each one of you in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and prepare you to be faithful servants in His church. And this morning, I want to think about with you uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2. I invite you to turn your Bibles there. You find Ecclesiastes there, right in the center of your Bibles, right after the book of Proverbs. We'll be looking at just a couple of different passages. We'll read first Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 18, and then we'll turn to chapter 2 and read verses 12 through 17. But before we read God's word, would you join me in prayer? And our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being a God who speaks. Lord, in this beautiful creation all around us, you reveal who you are and your attributes and your glory and your power and your beauty and creativity. We thank you especially in your word where we hear that saving message that comes to us through Jesus Christ, your son. And Lord, as we meditate upon your word this morning, we pray that you would illumine our minds and our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that we would see who we are in him. Father, be with the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first beginning, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. This is God's word. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. If we turn to chapter 2, let's read verses 12 through 17. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. A wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, 
seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all its vanity and a striving after wind. So far the reading of God's word. Well, I could remember uh, reading Ecclesiastes as a brand new Christian in high school, and I could remember uh, being struck by how honest this book was. As we read the words of the preacher, Kohelet, we find ourselves resonating with many of the things that he says in this book, because it's one of those books that's just so down to earth. I think chapter one and chapter two are especially relevant for us, because in this portion of Ecclesiastes, the preacher is showing us his own quest for satisfaction, his own search for life's ultimate meaning. He indeed enjoyed what we might think of as the celebrity life here on earth. If you read most of chapter two, you see that he enjoyed lots of uh, pleasure. He ate the best food. He had the most money. He satisfied all of his bodily cravings. But in the end, he couldn't find satisfaction. In fact, the more he tried to squeeze meaning out of this life, the more it seemed to escape him and to elude him and leave him longing for more. And we too, even as followers of the Lord, as Christians, could find ourselves searching for satisfaction even in the good things of life. Perhaps it's a relationship, marriage, our work, our seminary studies, even gospel ministry. And we learn this important truth from the preacher's quest that true satisfaction does not come by our striving, but by receiving life as a good gift of God. True satisfaction does not come by our striving, but by receiving life as a good gift of God. The God who made us for himself and who set his love upon us in Jesus Christ is the only one who could satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. We're going to see that briefly as we consider the preacher's quest here. We can't look at it in great detail. We're actually just going to zoom in specifically on his pursuit of wisdom. But here's the brief outline for us. First, we see the preacher's pursuit of satisfaction, and we'll see the problem with this pursuit, and we'll consider, finally, the place of true satisfaction. But in verses 12 through 15, before we dig into that, you see a bit of a summary statement about his pursuit. He tells us in verse 12 that this pursuit is an unhappy business, or other translations like the New King James. It's a burdensome task. As we'll see in just a moment, God has built into this world's pursuit of happiness a sense of restlessness when we try to pursue even the good things of life apart from Him. As it was told to me in counseling classes here, even good goods can become bad gods. Right? Even the good things of this life can leave us feeling miserable when we pursue them and seek to enjoy them in the wrong way. You see, God is mentioned in our text at the beginning of the preacher's pursuit, but God's name disappears throughout the preacher's quest for satisfaction. And he tells us in verse 14 that this pursuit is a striving after the wind. When we seek to find satisfaction in this life apart from God, we can never quite grasp it. It always seems to elude us, just like us trying to hold on to the wind. And he says in verse 15, men is actually limited in their ability to change things. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. We're reminded of our own limitations as human beings that when it comes to changing circumstances, the culture around us, even our own sinful hearts, we're limited in our abilities to change things. And we see this now in the preacher's pursuit for satisfaction. And again, we'll think of how he pursues wisdom in verse 16. Again, in Scripture, Pursuing wisdom is a good thing. 
But we see in God's Word, there's actually two different starting points, two different foundations for pursuing wisdom. On the one hand, we can pursue wisdom and knowledge by acknowledging God is our creator, and we must lean upon him if we are to know ourselves and know this world rightly. The other foundation for trying to pursue wisdom is this autonomous pursuit of wisdom that we could take, where we, by our own intellect, try to find out the meaning of life and even the deep things of life. Right, early Greek philosophy prized that kind of wisdom that was dependent upon reason and observation and experience alone. The question is, which path does the preacher take? Is this faith-seeking understanding, or is this an autonomous search for wisdom? Well, the preacher here is a faithful Israelite. He knows God, but for a season, we see him pursuing wisdom in the wrong way. And from the wrong starting point. Notice as he begins, he, he, he says, I have set my heart to do this, and I have acquired great wisdom. At the beginning of his quests, again, references to God are almost completely absent. And this will continue throughout his quest for satisfaction. You notice, apart from God, he was able to acquire knowledge of many things, and he was successful in one sense, in his pursuit of wisdom. Verse 16, I have attained greatness, right? He became the kind of man who had lots of fancy degrees on his wall, right? This would be the kind of man who had the most powerful intellect that we would look up to and we would listen to their podcast. They would be invited to speak on Joe Rogan, right? This is the kind of person that we would admire. The books that we would find from this person would be on the bestseller shelf at Barnes & Noble. Indeed, the pursuit of knowledge in this life is a good thing. And as seminary students, I'm sure one of the reasons that you're here is because you value the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. But the preacher tells us from his own experience that when we pursue wisdom from the wrong foundation, it could actually lead to frustration and lead to sorrow. Right in Christianity, especially in the last couple of years, uh, that word deconstruction has become a very popular word. This can refer to a process of analyzing our Christian faith to try to find out what comes from God's word and what might come from the culture, our bad tradition. And that can be a good exercise. But there's a kind of bad deconstruction where we set aside God and we set aside God's word as our starting point and we try to pursue wisdom and understanding from a different foundation. And that's spiritually dangerous and wrong. That is what the devil tempted Adam and Eve to do in the beginning, to set aside the word of God and to pursue wisdom from a different starting point. Before his conversion, St. Augustine said in his confessions, I was trying to find out the origin of evil, but I was quite blind to the evil in my own method of research. Again, how we pursue knowledge matters. If we try to become wise, Apart from the fear of the Lord, we can find ourselves in the pit of despair. In verse 18, for in much wisdom, he says, there's much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Even if we acquire greatness on some intellectual level, if our worth is not firmly rooted in Christ, we will never truly be at peace. And that's what we see secondly in this pursuit. We see the problem with this pursuit. We see his pursuit of wisdom, but in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 2, we now see the problem with his pursuit. When it comes to acquiring wisdom, 
or even other things he'll describe, material possessions, pleasure. What's the problem? Well, the great party crasher is death. Death comes into the party and turns down the music, and death comes and delivers this sobering message that the things of this world, the things of this life, cannot give us ultimate or lasting satisfaction because one day we're going to die. How does that relate to wisdom? Well, in verses 14 and 16, we see this. When it comes to wisdom, the wise person might see life rightly, the preacher says. He might know more than the fool who walks in darkness. But the preacher says the same fate happens to them both. They both die, and they're both forgotten. And in the grave, you can't distinguish the bones of the wise man from the bones of the fool. And so the preacher is lamenting this fact, the reality of death, can cause us to question even the value of our efforts then this side of heaven. Uh, Leonard Wolf was a British publisher and a political theorist, and he wrote many books, uh, more than 20 books on literature, politics, and economics. And yet at the end of his work, he, he wrote this about his lifetime of work. He said this, I see clearly that I have acquired, I'm sorry, I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same as if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make a rather humiliating confession that I must have in a long life ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. Those are words that we might resonate with at times in the home, in the church, maybe even in seminary. We wonder, Lord, what's the point? Why study bobbing, turretin, and labor writing papers on fine points of doctrine? Maybe I should just go play ping pong in the student lounge, right? What's crooked can't be made straight after all. You look at verse 17, and you see the preacher's overall assessment. You could see him kind of on top of the hill, looking out on the empire that he's made and all the things that he's acquired. But what's his overall assessment after this quest for satisfaction? He says, I hated life. He has all the money, status, possessions, wisdom that we could ever want. But the end result is not happiness, but it's hatred. Again, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner writes, if every card in our hand will be trumped by death, does it really matter how we play? The preacher reminds us that in light of death, even good things like knowledge and education and status cannot bring us lasting joy. But the preacher reminds us, and the scriptures as a whole remind us, that they were never meant to. As is commonly said, there's a God-shaped hole in each one of us that only he can fill. And so no amount of worldly knowledge or possessions can fill that deep void within our souls, only Jesus Christ. And you see, God has made this quest for satisfaction a burdensome task so that in our distress, we might be driven outside of ourselves to Christ for our life. And that's what we consider, brothers and sisters, in our final point, the place of true satisfaction. We'll see it in just a moment from verses 24 through 26. Again, for a season, the preacher is searching for satisfaction apart from God, and in so doing, he embraces Lady Folly instead of Lady Wisdom. You can see that in chapter 7. 
But we learn here in verses 24 through 26 that the key to living wisely in this messy world is to acknowledge God, our creator, to accept our limitations as human beings, and to look outside of ourselves to the God who made us and who set his love upon us in Christ. Our Lord Jesus, who came 2,000 years ago, is not only our ultimate prophet and priest and king, but he is the very wisdom of God made flesh in human form. In Luke 11, verse 13, he says, one greater than Solomon is here. And Jesus invites us to find wisdom by grounding our lives in his word, by taking to heart the things that he says. Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But our Lord Jesus is not only the one who reveals the wisdom of God, ultimately he is our savior. He is the one who come to make our crooked hearts straight and to give us eternal life. He lived for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. This is the glorious gospel that we celebrate as Christians. This is what sets us apart from any other religion in the world, this good news of Jesus Christ. According to the Apostle Paul, the message of Christ crucified, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24. And in the gospel, we celebrate how Jesus has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1, 40. This is the Savior who makes us right with God. And beloved, this is the Savior who bestows value on all of our efforts done in gratitude for God, reminding us that in all of our labors here and in ministry, they're not in vain. Again, if you want a meaningful seminary experience in a meaningful ministry, don't try to locate your worth in those things, but give those things over to Christ who alone is your worth, and you will find how to have true satisfaction in the things that God has blessed you with. Matthew 16, 25, whoever would save his life, Jesus says, would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, the more we try to squeeze meaning out of this life, even the good things, the more it's going to elude us. If we say to the Lord, here is my intellect, here are my gifts, here is my time. Here's my resources. Lord, it's all yours. Use it for your glory. And he gives it back to us in the right way. And we're able to find satisfaction in God and in the good gifts that he gives. And that's what you see in verse 24 through 26. I love this. Throughout Ecclesiastes, the preacher, he, he drops some hints for us throughout this book to show us the meaning of life. And look at the end there. He, he, you see a, a sacred shift. God's name has been absent in his quest, but now it reappears. And at the end, notice he tells us three times God's hand that gives what? Wisdom, knowledge, and joy. For a moment here, we see life as it was intended to be. We see the good gifts of God are meant to be received in the right way and enjoyed in the right way. Again, we learn here that true satisfaction is not found by our striving but by receiving life as a good gift of God. As many of you probably know, uh, Pastor Tim Keller is battling stage four pancreatic cancer. 
And not too long ago, he wrote an article in The Atlantic about his battle with cancer and how it's refreshing him about the meaning of life. This is what he said in the article in part. He said, since my diagnosis, Kathy, that's his wife, and I have come to see that the more we try to make a heaven out of this world, the less we were able to enjoy it. Kathy and I should have known better, we did know better, when we turn things, when we turn good things into ultimate things, when we make them our greatest consolations and loves, they will necessarily disappoint us bitterly. To our surprise and encouragement, Kathy and I have discovered that the less we attempt to make this world into heaven, the more we are able to enjoy it. No longer are we burdening it with demands impossible for it to fulfill. We have found that the simplest of things, from sun on the water, flowers in the vase, to our own embraces, sex, and conversation, bring more joy than ever. As God's reality dawns more on my heart, the simplest pleasures of this world have become sources of daily happiness. It is only as I have become more heavenly-minded that I can see the material world for the astonishingly good divine gift that it is. And indeed, brothers and sisters, may that kind of mindset be yours as you set out into a new year of seminary studies. May you pursue wisdom and knowledge from the right foundation, which is the fear of the Lord. And may you receive all of the knowledge here, friendships, even ministry opportunities, as good gifts of your Heavenly Father. And in all of your efforts, may you look beyond the horizon of this present world to Christ, who is your life, trusting that in Him your labors are not in vain. Amen. Let's pray together. We God in heaven, we pray that you would help those who are wise not to boast in their wisdom, or those who are mighty to boast in their might, or those rich to boast in their riches. But let our boast be in this, that by your grace we have come to know that you are the Lord who practices righteousness and steadfast love on this earth. For in these things you delight. Let our boast be in the cross of Christ alone. And we thank you for this place of study and spiritual formation. We pray that, Father, you would add your blessing to the labors of these students and to the faculty and bestow upon each one wisdom and knowledge as good gifts of your grace. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2022, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.